Hello, I'm Teresa Clark. I'm the chairman and CEO of Africa.com and am very privileged to be a part of the Africa Investors Conference. This plenary session is focusing on the opportunities for digital innovation in Africa. And in particular, we are joined by two fantastic panelists today. We have Victor Williams, who is the head of corporate and investment banking for the Africa's region of Standard Bank. Thank you for joining us, Victor. Okay. Um, and then secondly, we have Mark Shaban, who's the general manager and CTO for the Middle East and Africa region of Microsoft. Thank you very much for joining us, Mark. Thank you, Teresa. Good to be here. Wonderful. So the COVID-19 pandemic has created a huge digital shift worldwide with people using digital channels far more than ever before in their personal and professional lives. In Africa, there's been an appetite for digital solutions. And in many instances, we've seen African technology leapfrog innovations um, of the rest of the world. And so in this fireside chat, we're going to be exploring the opportunities and challenges that exist in getting more digital solutions to be used across Africa. Um, there's no doubt that this has been a tremendous moment. Um, there's a meme that has run around the internet um, asking this question, you know, who has been responsible for digital transformation in your company over the last three months? Uh, who has been responsible for making that rapid advancement? Has it been your chief digital officer, your chief innovation officer, your chief technology officer, the CEO, or COVID-19? And of course, we know that COVID-19 has been responsible for forcing industries and organizations to make huge advances. So that's really what we're going to be talking about, trying to understand which of those advances have taken place the most in Africa and which of those are going to remain a part of the permanent landscape. So let me start by asking both Victor and Mark to just say a little bit more about their background and introduce themselves beyond the titles that I gave them. Um, Victor, would you like to just say a little bit about the work that you do as the head of corporate investment banking for Standard Bank in the Africa's region? Thank you, Teresa. Um, so in my role as head of corporate investment banking for Africa regions, I oversee Standard Bank's operations with corporate institutional and sovereign clients across the 19 markets in sub-Saharan Africa in which we're present outside of South Africa. Great. Thank you, Victor. And Mark? Thank you, Teresa. Uh, so, so Mark Chaban, I'm actually um, the Chief Technology Officer based in Dubai, uh, responsible for our Middle East and Africa region. I've been with Microsoft going now on uh, 17 years and proudly been serving Africa in multiple uh, different industries. Specifically, my, my last role was in education. So did a lot of work in education in Africa and happy to be with you all today. Great. So Victor, let's start with you. Um, let's talk a little bit about this conference. This has been a very significant conference over the last decade. It's always taken place at Standard Bank's offices in London. Um, clearly conferences across the board have been canceled this year. Can you talk a little bit about you know, Standard Bank's experience and decision making in deciding to take this particular event digital? Thank you, Teresa. So as you mentioned, this is our 10th year of hosting this conference. Uh, over the last nine years, we've met about this uh, time of the year in London at our great offices there. And it's been a fantastic platform for us to bring together our corporate clients, 
uh, African policymakers and institutional investors who are very interested in investing in African equities and bond instruments together to facilitate great conversation, build relationships, and to lay the foundation for continued investment flow into the continent. This year, with the impact of COVID, it became clear that we were not going to be able to hold the conference uh, physically. But as we met earlier in the year to talk about what we were going to do, we realized that it was critically important that we continue to create a platform for our corporate clients and policymakers to meet with investors. In fact, in some ways, it's even more important this year because many of the investors have not been able to travel to the continent. They don't have the same feel for what's happening with the companies and with the countries that they usually have. And we thought that bringing the various uh, stakeholders together was critical to inform decision making during this crisis and beyond. And so once we made that decision, it really became a question of how to uh, make the conference happen. And we uh, quickly decided to have it virtually. We've never done something like this before, and we're thrilled to be able to partner with Microsoft and to use their platforms to help us facilitate what has been a very effective conference so far in a very secure way for all of our stakeholders. We've actually seen more participation in this conference than we've had last year, both in terms of the number of investors, which is up by 70%, and the number of corporates who are participating, which is up at 17%. Great. Victor, I'm going to stay with you for just a minute. Um, we're talking very um, about Standard Bank's conference, but you're in a service business and you service clients straight across the continent of Africa, across all sectors. And I'd like to ask you what you're seeing with your clients in this same regard, now that Standard Bank has taken this step in moving its conference online. Can you just comment with some anecdotes or observations about what you've seen amongst your clients? How are they adapting to the new digital environment and what are they doing in the same regard? So, thank you, Teresa. I think I mean the first thing we've seen um, across many of our clients is obviously the um, shifting to a place where they can conduct their business using um, uh, uh, digital means. And so the advent of whether it's uh, Microsoft Teams or other platforms and the usage of that has grown significantly. And I think we're all finding uh, that our uh, companies and uh, clients are able have been able to scale up their technology to facilitate ongoing work in their companies in a way that actually many of them did not think they were uh, would not have anticipated. And so that part, I think, has worked out really well. I think the second piece that we're seeing is companies starting to evolve their offerings in order to meet the new realities. Obviously, clients and, and their customers cannot interact in the same ways they used to. And so we're seeing examples of our uh, clients looking to touch their customers uh, in, 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 uh, through, through virtual means. The amount of engagement generally seems to have gone up across the board. Um, and, and, and I think that um, especially in the financial services sector, we're seeing um, the ability to serve clients digitally and to provide end-to-end -end services through 
technology platforms much more extensively than we had seen before. Right. Mark, I'm going to come back over to you now. You are also in the service industry, servicing hundreds or thousands of clients across the continent. Um, can you share some observations on what you've been seeing in your client base in terms of how they're adapting? Yeah, uh, th thank you, Teresa, and thank you for allowing us to be part of the AIC 2020 conference. Uh, Microsoft's definitely honored to be part partnering with Standard Bank, and I want to thank the event organizers for hosting uh, this event over Teams this year, which I'm really happy about. Um, now, to answer your question on digital, I'd say first and foremost, security, privacy, and trust are, are the critical aspects that we are trying to address um, in the services, to your point, Teresa, in terms of events, how can we ensure that events like this can happen in a secure way? And essentially, what we're seeing in Middle East and Africa now is uh, a lot of our customers move into remote everything model. And as the customer priority MIA has shifted ever since the pandemic has started, it's been really around three themes. Uh, first and foremost is business continuity. Then the second is how do they enable a digital presence? And then third is how can they ensure that they drive the cost optimization that's required? And new scenarios are being developed uh, very, very fast and very, very quickly. So, for example, many health institutions now in Middle East and Africa uh, are actually enabling doctors and nurses to do essential consultations online with patients. Uh, this was never this would this was never the case uh, pre-COVID. In the FSI space, and we've uh, and with like with Standard Bank and many other banks, um, we've seen them. Uh, accelerate the transformation around uh, automating uh, business processes. So we have something that we call Power Platform, which is a great way from a low code or no code way to actually automate a, a broken process or fix or not, and accelerate uh, business processes. So we're using the learnings from an accelerated way from financial services to also help retail, healthcare, government in terms of how do they quickly can automate those manual or slow processes. And I would say the second key piece that's, uh, that's uh, becoming more and more essential uh, is how do we partner with these organizations, uh, whether they're government or non-government, to ensure that we're putting in place the right skilling pro programs to accelerate the digital capabilities of their employees. That has been accelerated tremendously, and we're so happy to be a partner on that journey. Good. And let me just make a note for the audience here that you can send any questions you have through the Q&A button that you'll see at the bottom of the screen. Question mark inside of the bubble. And um, please send your questions to um, present them to our panelists. So carrying on with the conversation, um, let's talk a little bit about Africa specifically, um, because so far the conversation that we're having, you know, speak could speak to you know, the world, the globe, everybody has been changing, but let's talk about specifically what we're seeing in Africa. Uh, we know that there are some last mile issues in Africa. And so the way in which certain parts of the world in the West and Europe and the US have been able to adapt, haven't seen quite the same type of adaptation in Africa because of some of the greater obstacles to connectivity. Um, Mark, do you, do you want to comment on that and talk about what you're seeing in Africa compared to what your colleagues might be seeing elsewhere in the world? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sorry about that. Just taking a second to unmute. So, so uh, absolutely, uh, last mile connectivity is, is a core issue, uh, especially throughout the continent. 
Um, I want to just start by saying, uh, maybe just, just share with our audience that in 2013, uh, uh, more than seven years ago, Microsoft launched something uh, that we call the For Africa initiative. And that initiative was all really about making sure that we're investing very early on in startups and partners, small and medium businesses, governments, and, and more importantly, youth on the African continent. Um, part of that program and a big tenet of that program, Teresa, has been something we call as a delivering affordable access. And, and as part of delivering uh, in, uh, affordable internet access, we want to make sure that we're also developing a skilled workforce and investing in local technology solutions. On the, on the last mile connectivity, to your point, we focus a lot of the efforts into really kind of like, I would say, three areas. Number one is how do you build the right infrastructure to make sure that we are really bringing these digital services to the continent? And I can proudly share uh, that we were the first hyperscale uh, company to bring our data centers into the region, having launched multiple data centers in South Africa, which is really, really exciting. And we're also leveraged, started leveraging in the past seven years uh, uh, technology that came out of Microsoft Research, something we call TV white spaces, which, is, which allows us to actually bring broadband access to many different countries. And it's been deployed now in many different uh, countries throughout Africa, for example, like in Kenya. So building infrastructure is step one as part of our For Africa work, uh, building out the skills development and ensuring that we've got the right uh, trainings for, 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 for the citizens and for the youth. And most importantly, building a, then a trusted ecosystem to ensure that we're addressing the issues such as, again, cybersecurity. And most importantly now, how do we help address the ethical uh, use cases of implementations like artificial intelligence? Now, this is kind of like maybe a historical uh, quick view, Teresa. What I'm really proud of uh, beyond the data center investments and beyond the TV white spaces investments is just last year, we've actually brought the product group engineering teams to be based in Africa. And uh, we opened last year something we call that Microsoft Africa Development Centers, and which is basically a premier center of engineering for Microsoft where we can actually have world-class African talent that can create solutions for the local market as well as global impact. We are currently in fully operational mode in two sites in Nairobi, uh, Kenya, as well as in Lagos, Nigeria. And the goal is we to staff 500 deep uh, engineers who are actually helping build the next generation Microsoft products, which is really, really amazing in terms of making sure that we are not only addressing the local uh, needs, but also making sure that we, we can uh, create a bigger impact from a global scale. Great. And Victor, I'd like to talk to you about this same topic. Um, let's talk, I know that Standard Bank does a lot of infrastructure, you structure a lot of infrastructure investment across the continent. Um, certainly you're very engaged in digital platforms and Africa's connectivity is an important consideration in Standard Bank's overall business. So can you comment a little bit about this last mile issue and, and what you're seeing from your vantage point? So, thanks, uh, thanks, Teresa. And then I think from our vantage point, um, what we're seeing is, I mean, maybe starting with the formal sector first, is obviously an uptake in the um, in in the use of uh, of mobile um, uh, platforms, which really supports the investment case be behind telecoms and um, the building out of infrastructure. And I think investors are continue to realize that this is an ongoing need in Africa and will continue to provide uh, significant opportunities going forward. We've seen one of our clients, Helios Towers, have a successful uh, raising of capital recently, 
which I think speaks to um, uh, this investment thesis around building out tele telecommunications infrastructure in Africa. We've seen, um, and I think this is now probably across the whole population, a uh, real drive around uh, mobile money payments. One of our clients uh, in the last couple of days was talking about a significant increase in the usage of the mobile money uh, platforms that they've seen. And as uh, people have tried to deal with social distancing or physical distancing, there's also been a, a drive to move away from physical cash as a medium of exchange. And so uh, mobile money and uh, e-wallets have become increasingly important. Uh, earlier today in one of the plenary sessions, uh, one of the Kenyan policymakers gave an example of how the government of Kenya is using the M-Pesa platform to push support payments to the informal sector. Um, and, uh, and, and given that that platform has a 70% coverage in Kenya, it actually reaches many more people than the formal banking sector does. And so the use of mobile um, uh, 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 mobile money, which is a true innovation on the African continent, I think has come to the fore uh, during this during this crisis. So those are some of the some of some of some of what we're seeing. In general, I think every kind of digital capacity uh, is, um, is, 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 is more in demand and will present opportunities going forward than we've had before. Um, and uh, in particular, I think uh, there exists an opportunity for the corporate sector to work with governments to continuously um, uh, overcome some of the obstacles that have hindered uh, the growth of digital technologies on the African continent. One of those uh, that comes to mind is uh, the issue of the cost of data. And, and uh, maybe this is a time uh, to look at innovative ways to reduce the cost of data because that and the cost of uh, smartphone and device platforms continues to be a real hindrance for many Africans in moving to digital, uh, uh, um, uh, digital uh, technology. That's great. Um, Victor, let me, let me follow up with another question, and uh, it's my question. I'm also going to tie it with a question that's just come in from um, Seki Matukwa of the Ashmore Group. Um, clearly, the participants in this conference have always found great value because you bring regulators to the table and it helps um, global investors understand where the investment opportunities are based on friendly uh, regulation. And as we talk about digital migration, Seki Matuko wants to know, what countries specifically would you say have particularly supportive regulations when it comes to digital migration? And so I know that we, you've mentioned Kenya, and Kenya is a very regulatorily friendly place given the success of, of M-Pesa. Um, can you speak to the regulatory environment of other countries that you think are, are very attractive from an investment standpoint? Thanks, Teresa. I don't always like to <laughs> pick and choose amongst regulators who uh, we might work with, but I guess I'll highlight just a few examples. I mean, I think Kenya, again, goes without saying a very uh, supportive environment for digital innovation and for that interplay between, especially on the fintech side, uh, in terms of M-Pesa and other platforms. Uh, in Nigeria, we've seen, uh, uh, I think, uh, in the last year, a drive to um, create a more constructive environment for payment services companies. 
to come into the market. Many of them have been uh, uh, wanting to operate in that market. Um, largely, they've had to uh, work with the banking sector as partners, and I think the Nigerian uh, government has created um, uh, more of a, a, a regulatory uh, um, a window, so to speak, uh, for those players to come into um, uh, into into the market and to operate and to bring some of their innovation to bear to for Nigerians. Um, I think that on the other hand, um, we've seen in some places where there are taxes being imposed on digital transactions um, and on digital activity. Generally speaking, that's not supportive, uh, broadly speaking. And and in and and as an organization, one of the things we've noticed uh, in terms of a business activity is for there to be supportive regulation in terms of um, assisting uh, and enabling, for example, the digital, the use of digital documents to conclude transactions, uh, to support cloud-based technology, etc. And uh, I think across the board, many African countries still need to uh, make progress on those fronts. Good. Um Let's, let's go down sector specific. Um, we're here talking about digital change that has occurred as a result of COVID-19. One of the sectors that has been impacted globally has been education with schools shutting down and all learning going on to e-learning platforms. Now, we understand that this has been adopted across the continent in a fairly uneven fashion. Some places and some institutions and some communities have done better than others. Uh, Mark, do you want to comment um, about this and tell us what you're seeing in terms of the adoption of e-learning across the continent? And, um, and and please help us understand you know, what constraints there are and what needs to happen so that it's uh, more successful. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, I love the topic of education. Spent uh, uh, a very long time in, 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 in Africa working in education across many of the different countries and sectors. Um, look, we, first and foremost, I want to make sure that the audience is aware of the fact that um, our Office 365 solutions uh, for, that we basically are making available today for Standard Bank or for many of the commercial entities are available for free for uh, education institutions, specifically teens. Uh, it's available for free for all education institutions that want to set up teachers, students, and administrators to actually be enabled on this platform. Um, and specifically, in collaboration with a lot of our partners in Africa, we are offering free Teams uh, trainings to teachers to ensure that teachers are actually who become now central IT, if you want to call it that, um, to make sure that they're aware of how to run a digital lesson effectively and uh, over uh, that Teams uh, as, a, as a platform to all of their learners and they can make sure that you're keeping the learners engaged on an immersive platform. Um, and what makes me really happy is just uh, a great example of just what was just announced uh, this week in South Africa. Um, our, our team and our, our, and our managing director, uh, Lillian in South Africa, basically worked very closely with Vodacom and Vodacom Business to enable a connected digital learning platform. Uh, for education institutions, which really basically now touches the institution, the educator, as well as all of the learners in, in South Africa. And basically what this partnership with Vodacom did is, uh, it's basically the connected digital education platform is what we call it. And it combines essentially the tools and applications from a, from a, from a platform perspective, being Teams and Office and so on, uh, all in a single package bundled to enable digital learning in, virtual, in, in a virtual kind of classroom. 
Um, so now the students can actually submit assignments. Uh, they can do their assessments. Uh, educators can return the marked assignments uh, very quickly using technologies like OneNote. And this is not only helping save time, but it's also ensuring that the resources all are all in one single place. So it makes me really proud to see us continue to have an impact like this on educators and learners. And in this Vodacom offering, it's just one small example that we're making uh, available as part of uh, your earlier question, Teresa, um, connecti as affordable connectivity packages. And, and it's also because of the short term need uh, related to, as you know, worldwide and specifically here within Middle East Africa with the school closures. Uh, so it's, it's, it's allowing us to also accelerate and maybe leapfrog what would have taken a very long time to enable, enable digital learning in a school system to now to be much more accelerated and more importantly, uh, made affordable for students to actually have access to. We've done programs like this all throughout the continent, but the latest one that was just announced this week with Vodacom has just been really exciting and the take up for that has been just really awesome. So Mark, can, can you let's talk a little bit more broadly about what we're seeing in the education sector in Africa. And let's talk about just the fact that there's some that may have the benefit of accessing your products and there are a lot to go on that. And so let's just talk about the entire continent. And if you can please give us some observations as to what you think is working well and what you think still requires some solutions. Because clearly it has, there are a lot of students in Africa who have missed out as a result of the pandemic. The inability to go to school and physical school. I think Africa is part of other regions of the world. And so what do you see as systemic problems across the African continent? Sure. Thanks, Teresa. Uh, happy to expand a little bit more on education question. First and foremost, I, I want to uh, uh, you know, just just share a little bit of insight. Uh, we used to have a, a few million users at Teams uh, on a monthly basis. Now we're at a point of 75 million users of Teams on a daily basis. Uh, the the usage has just been incredible. Um, now touching on the on the education in the heart of education in the heart of education, um, I would say we we more than 183,000 different education institutions are now relying on Teams, and and it's. Uh, really amazing when you think about uh, the kind of platform this is actually enabling for the for the collaboration between the students and the teachers. And, and more importantly, uh, specifically for the African continent, where we haven't been able to scale, let's say, the Vodacom, uh, great, great kind of uh, scenario that I discussed for South Africa, we relied on, um, on the TV white spaces uh, solution that I mentioned earlier, which came out of Microsoft Research, which allows us to deploy connectivity in Sub-Saharan Africa to also enable the connectivity in those locations. Now, let's take an extreme scenario is, is basically, I think what you're touching on, Teresa, which is no access whatsoever. Uh, the, the beauty of our solutions continues to be is that we continue to offer them in a hybrid way. Meaning that if a, if a financial institution wants to run data sovereign, uh, completely disconnected scenarios, well, Microsoft's been doing that for the past 40 years of our history. We still enable that to allow them to have the data sovereign disconnected access from the cloud. And the same thing applies for education. Most of the scenarios that I'm, I'm highlighting, whether it's one note in the classroom uh, for a student um, or, or a, a specifically or Word, Excel and PowerPoint, still allow for students to actually have that in a disconnected format so that student can leave the school, go home, 
do their their assignment and then when they return to the school where there's internet connectivity immediately those are synced to the teacher and then that that kind of online digital experience takes effect so very proud of the fact that our solutions work in a hybrid way um, and allow both our, our commercial customers from a financial services perspective to have the sovereignty they want and as well as our education institutions that still don't have the access that they require to have an online uh, digital system. Thank you. Victor, I'm going to come back to you. I know that um, you've been involved in a lot of innovation on the continent and in particular, I think a fair bit of um, innovation in the agricultural sector. Um, which I imagine is accelerating during this time. Would you like to share with us some examples of what you're seeing across the continent in the in the ag sector innovation space? Thanks, Teresa. Um, we're doing some interesting work in East Africa uh, where we are looking to help our clients um, and that's um, at the corporate level, at the um, what we would call the business banking or commercial level um, and at the, um, you know, more towards the retail end, who sit in an ag agricultural value chain work more efficiently together. Um, so we're working, for example, in one of the uh, brewery company uh, value chains and, and where they are looking to source some um, uh, grain, uh, sorghum and, 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 and grains like that from the local market and that comes from the farm and goes through through uh, co-ops to aggregators and then eventually to processors and then onto the brewing company. And so what we are doing there is using, uh, um, we have a team that's working on um, building a technology platform that all the various uh, stakeholders can participate in that allows um, them to share information on uh, what's being planted, what the expected yields are going to be. It allows them to understand how much um, supply there is in the value chain to track uh, its progress as it moves from the farm uh, to the brewery. Uh, we're bringing in other um, uh, providers of agricultural inputs such as fertilizers and seeds, uh, making them part of that ecosystem. It's um, allowing us to uh, be more targeted in how we supply uh, uh, support to various players in the in the ecosystem. We're gaining much better information, which then allows us to make better risk decisions uh, to various players in the ecosystem. And the impact that we're seeing in the early um, uh, uh, pilots is a significant uh, growth in yields. Uh, which is ultimately what you want to see in a way that then puts uh, much more uh, money in the pockets of the uh, farming communities while assuring the uh, corporate end customer of um, a robust supply for their products. Very good. Um, I'm going to take another question that has come in over the transom and I'm going to give it to you, um, Victor. And one of the questions is, um, how does how does the bank balance flexibility and innovation against security? Um, for example, you know, having, I don't know if this is a question that that is right for you, but I'll give it to you and maybe Mark will chime in because I know he does a lot of work with the bank. But um, I want to see if you if you can just chat a little bit about if you're any sense that you have about balancing innovation and security, like using multiple cloud providers or how do, how do you think about that? 
Thanks, Teresa. Uh, interesting question. Um, I think for us as a financial institution, we think we have to deliver both. Uh, so on the one hand, we need to be at the forefront of helping to advance the use of digital financial solutions on the African continent. Uh, and we don't always do this on our own. We do a lot of it in partnership with fintechs and other players. Um, and increasingly, uh, we want to uh, buy and integrate rather than build um, uh, internally. At the same time, we have an obligation to uh, customers and our clients to always be giving them a very secure platform. And so internally, we talk about um, being always on, which is, speaks to the resilience of our platforms and their stability, and always secure, which means that at all times, um, the platform we're using has to provide the right levels of cybersecurity um, uh, for our clients. And so um, for us, it's, uh, it's not an either or. We want to deliver both advances in our use of technology while at the same time uh, being secure. In fact, if I take the example of this conference, um, one of the reasons why we chose Microsoft Teams was because of security. There were other platforms that are available that could have delivered a lot of what we are doing, but Microsoft Teams stood out for us in terms of security, and we didn't want to compromise that in any way, given the caliber of clients on the corporate and policymaker and investor side that we have in this conference. Well, very well said for the head of corporate and investment banking, Victor. You have a wide range of knowledge. I mean, you've impressed me. Your ability to address that question. So, so let's let's move on to the next one then. You know, just just thinking about what you know. The, the Teresa, do do you mind if I just add maybe two points to that that answer from uh, from Victor? Because I think he said it well. But I maybe want to just highlight maybe one thing, if that's okay. Sure. Think, thanks a lot. Look, um, look, look I, I would say as we kind of, you know, we call this the respond, uh, you, you know, recover and then reimagine uh, phases uh, in terms of what we've seen in, uh, in the COVID crisis. And I would say now as we're in, moving from recover to basically reimagine, uh, we see a lot of the financial institutions deploying data, kind of moving to say, hey, security is now top of mind for me. And uh, they're deploying data sensitive uh, uh, applications to basically places where they never thought they wanted to do it in this remote everything world that we're in uh, uh, today. And so because this is moving at an accelerated pace, we're seeing these kind of what we call latency sensitive so that so the timing and the latency of the application has to is very sensitive as well as the data sovereignty becoming a really, really big deal for a lot of our African uh, customers. So yes, I'm, I'm proud to share that we have data centers in South Africa, but for the rest of our African uh, customers, what we've been doing there is we've actually have a subset of our data center. We call uh, it basically in our hybrid offering that I mentioned earlier and allows a lot of those customers run to now run those, let's say, mission critical applications as well as, uh, let's say, uh, um, uh, uh, microservices or something that we call kind of like, you know, uh, cutting edge technologies disconnected if they wanted to in their own kind of hybrid or sovereign data center. So this is actually allowing us to address a lot of the customer needs as they look to recover. We, we see that's like, playing a really good critical role in terms of accelerating their digital presence, but at the same time, allowing them to run in a hybrid way if they wanted to. Um, and I, and I'm, I also see them, I see us now also partnering with them around how do you reimagine some of the processes that they have 
and, and making sure that we actually integrate artificial intelligence uh, in those processes to make sure that they are a lot more effective uh, in terms of the way they are deployed. I'm seeing that as more and more technologies that will continue to emerge. I would, I would, and then just one last one, I would say it's also really exciting on the scaling piece. A lot of customers are saying, hey, you know what? I don't want two, three different cloud vendors. I need one and I need it to be data sovereign. I need it to be disconnected, but I also need it to be online when I need it. So help me in that way in terms of training my staff so they're fully capable instead of training multiple different staffs on multiple different technologies. We're seeing, again, a, a really big kind of consolidation that, that way in this new world of AI-assisted, automated, kind of remote everything. I, I hope that helps. Victor, let's come back um, and think about, you know, we're talking to our in your investors and they're wanting to learn from your you know, broad experience across the continent serving clients in all regions and all sectors and in particular thinking about innovation. Um, for global investors interested in investing in innovation across the continent, we've talked a little bit about regulation and you've given some very insightful observations as to where you think the regulatory environment um, supports investment. Um, can you comment a little bit further about how you would be advising your global investor clients who are thinking about investing in, in, in innovation? What is a good way to, to think about this as you approach the continent from either a sector perspective or other vehicle or path towards getting exposure to industries and companies that will benefit from, from innovation and technological advancement? What would you tell the, the investors in this regard? Well, um, thanks, uh, thanks, Teresa. I think I would start off by saying that um, innovation is, first of all, um, everywhere on the African continent in pretty much every sector in which we operate. So it's it's quite clear that there's a lot happening in uh, telecoms um, and uh, a lot happening around uh, payments. Um, so those are those are obvious places to go. Uh, I think this continent is. Uh, it may be the most the leading continent uh, uh, on the world in terms of in the world in terms of digital payments and the move towards um, uh, cashless transactions um, in terms of um, how that is being innovated both at an industry level within the banking sector but also through fintechs. I think that um, there's a lot of opportunity that's starting to show up in supply chains. So. Some of the more interesting work that we've seen is in the logistics uh, sector and uh, using um, various apps and, and, and platforms to do a better job of tracking uh, where goods are as they travel across the African continent, uh, what's happening uh, with trucks um, um, and locating um, their exact physical location uh, on the continent, uh, dealing with the issue of crossing borders and trying to make that process more digitized uh, so that trucks can go across uh, uh, borders more quickly. There's starting to be a lot of um, uh, work in the trade finance area, uh, broadly speaking, uh, and the use of uh, blockchain uh, technologies to um, secure transactions and to provide assurance to uh, buyer and seller. Uh, in that process, as well as uh, as well as uh, um, uh, intermediaries, um, there continues to be 
a lot of um, innovation in uh, the healthcare sector. Um, so um, some interesting work has been done on the continent in terms of pharmaceuticals and their security and making um, uh, uh, using uh, codes and QR codes to allow a consumer to be assured that a pharmaceutical is genuine and not fake and hasn't been uh, tampered with. Um, there's uh, there's a lot of work uh, going on in uh, education and Mark spoke to uh, some of it uh, uh, there, but uh, the rise of e-learning platforms and distance learning platforms had started to emerge on the continent even uh, prior to COVID. I would expect that that's going to continue um, increasing over time. And, um, and then I think from a digitization perspective, meaning uh, looking, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity to take existing uh, processes that were uh, more manual and to digitize them. And so across many sectors, I think we're going to see corporations and companies do, uh, do a lot of work that helps to reduce their cost to serve, while at the same time we'll see a lot of innovation, uh, both within corporations as well as uh, innovative new players that helps to create new markets and brings new services uh, to the fore. Good, you know, and to the last point that you make about bringing new services to the fore. Um, as we speak about Africa, we know that one of the both opportunities and challenges for the continent is the youth dividend. Um, the need to engage youth, the need to find employment for youth, and the fact that digitization has taken a big leap in these last many months. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you think that uh, the, the new age of innovation and the fact that Africa has leapt forward along with the rest of the world towards a more digital context, how do you think that's going to impact um, youth employment and, uh, and this challenge slash opportunity going forward with respect to young people? Thanks, Teresa. It's a, it's a very interesting question and obviously digitization is only one way uh, we're going to deal with this challenge of youth and uh, unemployment uh, and youth opportunity. There are many interventions that are required, but speaking about this one, uh, one of the interesting things, I mean, one, you know, over the last uh, three months, we've all been stuck at home and I think we've all spent more time on webinars and um, in, in digital conferences than we ever thought we would. But I've been really interested to see a number of platforms emerge where uh, that are specifically youth oriented, where young entrepreneurs are pitching their ideas to potential investors who are then um, having, you know, sort of like a dragon's den uh, kind of um, um, uh, um, session to question the young investors and to um, uh, and to support them with funding. I think that is one uh, opportunity that has emerged here. And, I, and in general, I think I've seen um, the emergence of other um, um, uh, platforms as well. So for example, um, you know, I was reading something recently about Facebook that has started a platform to support young African female entrepreneurs and to uh, provide them with the ability to go online and to uh, set up um, stores, uh, online stores uh, to sell their goods. At Standard Bank, we also have a platform uh, 
which we're rolling out uh, in South Africa that allows uh, young people to go um, online and set up uh, online uh, commerce uh, capabilities. So I think there are a number of interventions that are that are ongoing. And what's really required is more attention, more funding, and ultimately more access for these entrepreneurs to uh, networks and markets that will allow them to grow. Great, that's great. Um, let's talk about Africa as a place for all of that innovation. Um, Mark, I don't know whether you have any observations from your side as to ways in which you think Africa is leading the world, interestingly, with, with any kind of innovation. Sure, absolutely. Thanks, Teresa. So, so yeah, I mean, look, the, I think the COVID situation uh, has spurred a lot of innovation. Um, and, and most recently, our CTO Satya basically mentioned in uh, in a Q2 earnings call, he basically said that, hey, we we have seen uh, two years worth of innovation taking place worldwide in just in the past two months. So it's been incredible. Um, and I would say in Africa specifically, what we see is we're engaging with our massive uh, partner ecosystem is the fact that uh, it, uh, it, uh, throughout many different sectors, uh, pretty big innovations happening. So, for example, in healthcare and specifically in South Africa, and I'll mention some of those partners like uh, the Mint Group and uh, Fulukisa, uh, they developed code AI, COVID AI, uh, which was really revolutionary in terms of the way we were screening and testing for an entire population to help curb the spread of COVID-19 through data intelligence and our citizen uh, platform. I kind of mentioned this earlier, it's called Power Platform. It's a, and we, the reason why we call it citizen platform is because anybody can actually go and develop a quick app. It, we call it a no-code, low-code kind of approach. But that was a really quick way with really young talent and our massive ecosystem from a partner perspective to help quickly be able to respond to the market needs and help make sure that we uh, address some of the kind of the pandemic related uh, scenarios. Um, we're also seeing really interestingly um, the emergence of, of, uh, of virtual courtrooms, uh, click and collect applications for retail and remote maintenance and manufacturing. So a lot of really amazing scenarios, again, fueled by our partner ecosystems that are supported for us, at least from the For Africa initiative work that we do. Um, we're also seeing the way a big change in the way customers are deploying our technology. So a lot of them are moving from this massive, large investment where you have to procure the software and hire the talent and go and deploy it to a more of a waterfall style product uh, deployment method that's basically a lot more agile, a lot more sprint-like in terms of fashion. So very, very, I deploy, you know, this small uh, product portfolio. It gives me this really early return. And again, that's the beauty of, 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 of our cloud offerings is that it allows us to basically offset a lot of that, let's say, uh, 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 big bulk kind of upfront purchases that customers need to have to do. And, and then maybe last, and, and I would just mention, mention Teresa, this African Development Centers that we just invested in that I talked a little about earlier about the two locations with Kenya and Nigeria. I mean, these are unlike any other investments that any other global technology companies done. And I'm, I'm especially proud about it because uh, we expect the financial investment to total more than $100 million, which is, which is just amazing in terms of the market opportunity that this presents for us to develop better solutions by hiring African engineers from Africa, specifically to make sure that we can actually build not only the better solutions um, that are a lot more inclusive, but more importantly, uh, expand on our partner ecosystem to make sure that we are using the partners throughout the continent 
to basically help fuel the innovation and the digital transformation. And we have a big partner team inside the company that's solely focused around helping kind of support and stimulate and train the partner ecosystem to ensure that they are able to then basically help customers realize the value of the cloud, the cost offerings of the cloud, uh, and making sure that then they can actually have access to those digital tools in a very, very quick way. Okay, great. Um, another question for you, Mark, um, coming in over the line. Outside Microsoft products, what skills do you think that Africa needs in order to help upskill young people and employees to be able to function in the new world? Yeah, I, thank you. I mean, very critical. I think I think that's uh, just to make sure I can highlight this. That is the second probably biggest investment that we're making in general as a company, but more importantly, through through our for Africa work. Um, so from a skills skills uh, development perspective, our work is really around addressing the skills gap from basic digital literacy to deep technical skills. So I would kind of break it up into those three chunks. Uh, and for example, again, in South Africa, we partnered with Gauteng uh, Provincial Government uh, to launch a digital skilling program that enables, again, very quick access to basic literally skills, digital skills. Uh, we've also rolled out a program that we have that's available in Middle East and Africa, specifically built by us uh, for Middle East and Africa, called the Cloud Society. Um, this is now available all across the continent, and it basically offers free access to technical online training and certification opportunities to ensure that people can actually very quickly have access to those digital skills. And one last one that I would say that's become really, really popular, we have uh, that we've made available again freely uh, online is the Artificial Intelligence Business School. So we call it the AI Business School. And uh, pretty amazing content in terms of allowing somebody to have basic knowledge around artificial intelligence to low code kind of no code approach to artificial intelligence to all the way deep kind of technical skills to be able to design and build cognitive services on AI. And definitely I would say we would love to see uh, more and more, uh, you know, folks actually taking advantage of, of those platforms and specifically that certification platform to help ensure that people can actually, you know, get certified, get the knowledge and ensure that they, they are building, uh, you know, AI infused solutions for the future. Victor, I'm back to you for a moment. Um, one of the things when we talk about advancing Africa, uh, we know that the African Continental Free Trade Agreement is a really important uh, platform that many people have um, sort of attached to in terms of thinking that the continent is going to be able to achieve um, a lot of important growth objectives. And so now when we overlay digital onto the African Free Trade Agreement, um, we understand that at the same time that countries are becoming a little bit more protectionist because they're worried about people bringing the virus across their borders. Where, how do you see digital and innovation playing a role in, in where the African Free Trade Agreement is going? Thanks, Teresa. Um, so look, I mean, I think uh, first of all, uh, at Standard Bank, we are big supporters of the um, drive towards um, building a continental free trade area on the continent and making it operate uh, more effectively, in effect, creating a much larger market for Africa's goods and services. Um, obviously, in light of COVID, 
um, it's not surprising that the implementation of AFCFTA has been pushed back, um, both because I think there's still a fair amount of preparatory work that needs to get done, but also at this time, um, we're seeing more examples of borders being closed than borders being opened. But in the medium to long term, this is still an important initiative for the continent. And the way we look at it is that there is an opportunity uh, for digitization to help facilitate many aspects of the AFCFTA. So one would be, uh, as I said before, just uh, using digital, um, digitizing trade um, and uh, the um, um, the use of and, and digitizing documentary trade in particular uh, and using um, uh, uh, technologies like blockchain uh, that could uh, help um, with smart contracting to make uh, transactions go a, a lot faster. There's a lot of room for digitizing logistics, as I said earlier, uh, to facilitate the physical um, flow of goods across borders. I mean, the stories, I think we're all familiar that uh, when goods uh, are being shipped into Africa from um, Asia, for example, they take more time to go from, say, Mombasa to Kampala than they took to come from Mumbai to Mombasa. Um, so, so, so digitization can play a big role in, in helping to improve uh, the logistics uh, supply chain. Uh, in the uh, trading services, uh, we see a lot of room for digitization of transactions. And so this goes back to a point I raised earlier about uh, governments um, uh, facilitating the um, the um, uh, use of documents, electronic signatures, digital um, uh, um, uh, transactions uh, in order to facilitate um, uh, commerce. Uh, we need to have a much better uh, framework for sharing data across the continent. That has to be part of AFCFDA as well. Um, and so what we're seeing in some instances is governments becoming very focused on the data pertaining to their country staying in their country. And while there is an important element uh, around data privacy and data security that needs to be um, uh, paid attention to, but uh, under the right circumstances, the we need a freer sharing of data in order to facilitate uh, the, the trade and services. Um, so I think digitization, there needs to be a digitization There needs to be a digitization agenda, sorry, sorry, that goes alongside the general progression of the AFCFTA, and that uh, that is uh, a, a key part of what needs to be done. In addition to the the um, uh, facilitating the flow of physical goods. That's great. Well, I think that we've come to the uh, pretty much the end of our session here. Um, I want to thank both. Victor and Mark for their tremendous insights um, on these topics that we've talked about in digitization and the technical trends that we're going to see going forward. Um, one survey globally said that 75% of consumers who have used a digital platform for the first time during COVID-19 uh, believe that they will continue to use it on a permanent basis. And as a result, we've seen a huge shift uh, from from the past to the future, and no part of the world, no region has more to gain 
in terms of upside from digitization than the African continent, where digitization provides elements of democratization, providing access in education and healthcare to things, to resources that are scarce. Um, I'm going to ask each of you uh, just to close for one moment by telling us, you know, for people interested in digitization in Africa, what is the one piece of advice that you would give investors as they think about investing in Africa in the digital slash innovation space? I'll give you just a second to think about that and I'll just make one further remark. And that is that the changes that we're seeing are happening across um, the sectors that are important from a social perspective in healthcare and in education, but they're also quite important from a commercial standpoint. We're seeing changes in retail, we're seeing changes in banking, we're seeing changes in government and how government responds. And so as a result, we know that Africa has shown that it can leapfrog in the past and there are many people with keen eyes on Africa to understand how Africa is going to leapfrog as things, quote, go back to normal. Um, and so it's been a very exciting opportunity to hear how these two giants, Standard Bank and Microsoft, are approaching this on the continent and working together. So with that, I'm going to turn to each of you and let you guys get the last word. So Mark, would you like to tell us what would your one piece of advice be for investors who are thinking about investing in, in digital slash innovation on the continent? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Teresa. I would say, um, first and foremost, invest in your staff, invest in your employees. Uh, skilling right now has become kind of a core uh, mission to a lot of what the what our customers are asking for. So some of the things that I mentioned uh, related to the artificial intelligence business school that's available on Microsoft.com slash AI is a great platform to start. Uh, other things related to the Cloud Society program that's available in terms of making sure you invest in in uh, in your in your employees that way is great. And then number two, invest in the in the security in the compliance way um, because it's you know staying compliant is something that we're proud to be helping customers do. Um, as customers expand their their systems to work from home and remote for everything, uh, that's becoming a bigger bigger issue. So in that space, we're actually making uh, really big investments, and we're happy to partner with you along the way. Great. And Victor? Thanks, Teresa. I'm going to uh, um, ask your permission to make two points. Uh, oh. So the first one is <laughs> that... Victor. <laughs> so the, the uh, first, uh, first one would be, especially for our clients who are at this conference, as they speak to companies uh, in whom they're looking to invest, um, it's important to ask them about what their digital strategy is and what are they doing to make themselves future ready. Um, and that should become an active part of uh, the investment equation uh, because if Africa is going to increase its contribution to global GDP, it needs to grow faster than the rest of the world is growing. And we're not going to be able to do that unless we're digitizing uh, in every aspect and especially uh, our key corporations need to be driving that. The second uh, point I would make is that uh, it's important to invest in infrastructure uh, that drives digitization. So um, uh, to, to invest in uh, the areas of uh, broadband infrastructure, regulatory infrastructure, um, uh, uh, people infrastructure, all of these things that will lay the foundation for Africa to be able to digitize uh, effectively going forward, that should be something that investors look at as well. Fantastic. 
Well, thank you very much. This is Teresa Clark with Africa.com here live at the Africa Investors Conference. We've just concluded talking with Victor Williams and Mark Chabon. Thank you so much.